Hey everybody, welcome to San Diego Magazine's Happy Half Hour. I am Troy Johnson. Usually this is done by David Martin, but he is out in the desert at a heavy metal concert. He says that his plane is delayed. I think that his life has been delayed. Out in the desert. <laughs> he may be in jail. Please send bail money. <laughs> this is episode 4,976 4, or something like that. Um, I have Marie Tucko with me, our fearless editor-in-chief over at San Diego Magazine. Marie, how was your weekend? What's going on? It was amazing. Uh, I went to our Best of San Diego party, and I just cannot um, explain how happy I was to see people just eating and dancing and taking Instagram photos and... Um, just seeing uh, chefs like our guest Ian Tenzer were there, just um, you know, putting out thousands of samples of food. It, it, it was a good time, and I'm so happy that the event came back. And I'm also happy that you were able to get in because both of us didn't have a ticket <laughs> for the event. I'm such a to know people. Yay, faces okay. Well, okay, before I'm not even I'm gonna shut up right now and really introduce our guest. Our guest today that we'll be talking with throughout the entire podcast. He's gonna, you know, say his opinions on many, many things. Uh, but we're also gonna get his story. Uh, a fantastic chef and great addition to San Diego, worked at Eleven Madison Park and then came out to be with Puesto, um, our, our taco champions. Ian Tenzer, how are you, brother? I'm I'm excellent. Thank you for having me, Troy. Um, yeah. Just like the San Diego weather, I'm just shining bright to be out here, you know? <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, Are you 73 and sunny? I, I'm uh, about, I'm 30 and, and definitely sunny, for sure. <laughs> 30 and sunny. <laughs> Perfect. All right, so we're, we're all going to talk. I mean, I got to go back to the best of events. We'll, we'll get off of this in just a second. But just to see human beings laughing and smiling in the same place again, taking photos, enjoying food at the best of it. It was awesome. I hate cover bands. The mention of cover bands activates something that needs Claritin in me. You know what I mean? Like I need, <laughs> I need to take some, um, some whatever the other allergy drug is. And the cover band that we had was awesome. They were rocking. Yeah. Guns and Roses as a female singer who had that blues in her voice. What do you think, Ian? I agree. They had me when they came by before the show really started or their gig really started, and they had a few of our tacos. Uh, we gave them a sneak preview, and when they came back, they said these were the best tacos. So obviously, I have a biased opinion, but I, I think they rocked. They rocked the socks off many people out there, and I, I know I caught myself once or twice with a head bob and a. a a knock on my knee, you know, I was ready to dance, get the party started. Head bobbing a knock on my knee. That's going to be the name of your autobiography. I love that. All right. <laughs> well, let's get started here, you guys. We're going to get through some news. This is what we always do. It's Hot Plates with Marie Tucko, who kind of you know, corrals the internet and talks to her sources and gets some uh, some news for the week. What's, what's new this week, Marie? So we have more Middle Eastern food coming to Kearney Mesa. Uh, tahini is expanding in the neighborhood and they're also going to open a new coffee shop. So they've been in a strip mall on Claremont Mesa Boulevard and they've outgrown that space. So they're actually taking over a space that vacated next door. And then after they move, they're gonna turn their original spot into a Turkish coffee shop that's also gonna have Arabic desserts and that will open by the end of this year. You know, have um, the owners, Osama and Mahmoud, have they been on the podcast? They just seem really interesting. Osama went to Harvard Law School and Mahmoud worked in law enforcement before they teamed up 
to open this restaurant. I'm really fascinated by their story. And I was just thinking I would love to have them on the show. I don't think they have it on the podcast, but the fact that he went to Harvard, I'm going to need to take my ginkgo biloba before they come on. I mean, it's not way too smart for me. I prefer to have medium smart people on this show. So. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you trying to say about me? <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll let that one slide, Troy. <laughs> All right, Ian, medium smart Ian. Um, have you been to, how long? What good question for you? I know that you were out in New York um, at 11 Madison for a while. Did you come directly from New York to San Diego? I did. My girlfriend's okay. from San Diego, and it just felt like a good oh, move, awesome. embrace the change. Um, yeah, and I mean, if the weather alone doesn't get you, the, the amount of activities and hobbies and just incredible produce and food that you can be enjoying out here and just be exposed to is is definitely going to get you get you to stay for a while quite a while every new york chef that i talk to once they land in san diego they're like have you seen the produce here i'm like yeah man we live here it's it's incredible <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay so but question for you you how, how long have you been out here I got out here just over a year ago. Actually, August fifth, I moved out here. Okay, so obviously, obviously that was a trend. It was a little bit of a trying year. We had some amount of uh, pause in our and and just um, uh, in life. life. But have you made it out to convoy? I believe, yeah, I have. I certainly have made it out to convoy. Um, okay. Forgive me, everybody, locals to San Diego and Californians. Like, I'm a COVID transit and. Uh, I still need to get my bearings. Like it's not like everyday life where everything's open and you can just go wherever you want. So it's a slow process, but I am trying. I love it here. So yeah, I have been to convoy. Um, but let what what do we got? What are we talking? We're talking uh, tahini here. Yeah, tahini. So tahini is basically. I mean, that's convoy that it's moving to, Marima. Unless I'm mistaken, right? Oh. Um... They're going to be in the same strip mall just next door to where they're just, at. Okay, right, but I think they're close to Convoy. They're Convoy adjacent. They're somewhere. Okay. In so I've been in the original Tahini. If they're just moving to a bigger space, it is Convoy adjacent. And if you haven't been to, or, um, you know, been to Convoy recently, and this is a shameless plug, you do have to uh, pick up our issue where we did the cover story on Convoy. It's the history of Convoy, you know, how it started out with a couple of churches and, and a, uh, an Asian market now in evolved into basically being the little italy of a pan-asian food it's just the huge collection but there's a lot of restaurateurs that are not asian that are starting to move there including i think um and i'll have to ask him about this because this is a rumor and slander next week's guest um brad wise from fort oak i heard he's kicking the tires on a restaurant out there too so really? i mean it's exploding now you know, a lot of like big time restaurateurs want to get into that space because it's just it's become such an attraction. All right. So what's next? So this is great news for um, a former podcast guest, Tim Parker, Chula Vista Brewery. He's opening his second location. So it's coming to Eastlake um, and it's in the former space where the brew house was. So this space will be larger than what he has in downtown Chula Vista. There's going to be communal tables, more outdoor seating, and also a food component. So uh, Tim teamed up with the owner of Oak and Anchor Barbecue. They've been doing a pop-up at the Chula Vista location on weekends. The owner's from Texas. All the meats are smoked using wood fire, no gas. So now it's going to have um, a permanent home. 
And I'm really excited about this for two reasons. Uh, number one, you have something exciting happening in you know a suburban strip mall over in East Lake. That's really great yep. for the residents, uh, the residents there. And also, um, these are both uh, Black-owned businesses that are teaming up together. So I, I, I love everything about this. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's I, I love that suburban uh, sub, suburbia is getting food. I mean, just because you have kids and you own a home doesn't mean your mouth is sewn shut and your taste buds, buds get set on fire. You know, they've been underserved and overserved on, say, Applebee's and Chili's for a long time. You know, yeah. like they need yeah. good they food. They, they deserve good food and good beer. And it's really, it seems like it's kind of going out there. I mean, I know that uh, Cucina Urbana Restaurant Group is going to be opening up in Scripps Ranch here soon. Um, I, I don't know when exactly that starts, um, but I love that Chula Vista Brewery is partnered with a barbecue. I think beer and barbecue is the original name of the pill that eventually became Prozac. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, is, it is definitely, I mean, beer and barbecue just makes you happy. It's perfect. It and I know, I know that our anchor in Oak, they do a loaded baked potato. They call it Hogzilla, pulled pork and ribs and sour cream and cheese and green onions. I mean, yeah, it doesn't really, get much better than that. No, it doesn't, man. All right, so what's your favorite barbecue? I mean, I, um, I imagine that you've eaten a few along the way. Are you a Carolina guy? Are you a Texas guy? Are you a St. Louis guy? I love me some Carolina. Uh, you know, are we talking restaurant specific? I haven't I haven't hit any in San Diego, so I'll have to go out to suburbia and uh, check out their new spot opening up. You said they were a brewery as well. Yeah, Chula Vista Brewery is started by a um, military vet in San Diego, and he's done a really good job down in, in Chula Vista. And, you know, they're expanding out. I mean, it's really amazing to hear all these through COVID and through the whole situation, everything going on. Uh, just people continuing to push forward and expand their businesses. Um, it's it's really inspiring and amazing to hear that. Um, so I'll definitely be checking out their barbecue um, and and grabbing a few a few beers, letting our brewer Doug Hasker know who the competition is in town. <laughs> but um, as, as far as barbecue goes, I'm a there's a restaurant in Brooklyn. I'm from New York, hometown barbecue that that's got my heart currently and and until somebody tries to take the title but uh yeah you barbecue is just that american comfort food that everybody everybody enjoys yeah it's like the kind of food that you use jeans as napkins you know that sort of <laughs> thing. I mean, you don't need don't need utensils i mean god gave you five on each hand you know just use your fingers rub it on your jeans have a good time you know yeah get those digits going Get those digits going. All right, well, what's next, Marie? So our last uh, news item for today, in case you missed it, a local chef is competing on a new Netflix show called Bake Squad. At Christoph Rule, he was the pastry chef at the Park Hyatt Aviera, and he's one of only four people in the whole country selected to be on the new show. Uh, the show is hosted by Christina Tossi, the founder of Milk Bar in New York. So uh, Christoph is um, no longer with the hotel. He did leave his full-time position just to focus on his skills. And he's also teaching online classes. And he's going to compete in the World Chocolate Masters event in Paris next year. And he'll be representing the US even though originally he's from France. And here's a fun um, fact that I found from a UT article about him. So he used to do these 
chocolate sculptures that would go in the lobby of the hotel. And he made one where it was a train that weighed 250 pounds. So this sounds like a really cool um, contest that he's going to be competing in. Oh, sounds like a lot of chocolate. <laughs> Dear God, 250 pounds of chocolate on a track coming at you. <laughs> yeah. Get out the way. Yeah, I, I think my I think my wife would just kind of yeah, basically move into the Park Hyatt Alviera and and just say goodbye to me and spend some quality time with that chocolate train. <laughs> Maybe you can sculpt you sculpt your outline in chocolate, and then you'd have the best of both worlds. All of us. That's what. That's really. That's our goal from here. From here on out, from San Diego Magazine, and even Ian, you're an honorary member of San Diego Magazine today. Uh, we all want to get our busts done in chocolate. You know, <laughs> my goal for the longest time was like I wanted somebody to animate me, but then they just made it so easy on the internet. And you can change yourself into a cartoon, but they cannot. It's not easy to get a full sculpture of my oversized, um, semi-presentable noggin in chocolate man you know i think what do you think smell vision would be first or the oh. chocolate sculpting via internet is is before that yeah smell vision would be pretty good too although i think on some of those cooking shows you'd mostly just smell the cortisol and sweat from the contestants oof you know I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a sweat lodge in there and they're just running man i vote right. chocolate all right, so that was it. That is, wait a minute, wait a minute. Marie, you have one more and you've got a pitch and I like this one. What are you asking our listeners for, for the magazine? So I need help from our listeners. I know there are a lot of industry people who listen to this podcast, so I have a call for pitches. So we're doing a true crime story in the next issue. And as a nod to that theme, I'm doing a story in the food section where I'd like to know what is the weirdest thing that has been stolen uh, from a local restaurant? So we know that it's common that even before um, COVID that sometimes restaurant customers will steal things like the salt and pepper shaker, um, copper mugs when Moscow mules were popular. Those unfortunately um, were commonly getting stolen from bars. And um, last year we even saw, you know, uh, patio furniture was being stolen. Uh, that happened locally and around the country. Um, that's very unfortunate that that happened in restaurants, but um, I, I would just like to know, um, like, what is something that was stolen from a restaurant that just really made you say, why would somebody take that? Or I can't believe somebody actually did that. So far, we've collected some truly odd stories. Um, one is about missing fake fish and even a brazen attempted wine theft that happened while the owner was at the restaurant. Anyway, the incident doesn't have to be recent but you do have to be willing to have your name and the establishment's name uh, appear in print. You can email me at marit at sdmag.com. Yeah, all right. All right. Now, Ian, you've worked at some, I mean, look, you worked at 11 Madison. I'm sure that a few people walked out with something at 11. What, what, is, what would they walk out with? What would go missing at the end of a shift? Um, at EMP, it was such a generous place. Um, I, to be honest, I wasn't privy to the, the happenings of things getting stolen, or I guess I wasn't interested in it. I was just nose to the grindstone. But I know that at uh, the Nomad in New York, we had these beautiful copper, like we had a copper rooster or a copper gnome, like a garden gnome that we would use for service pieces for drinks. Yeah. Um, 
and those were constantly being taken. Um, now, I but, think personally, I, I think this is a trick question for chefs because I've asked people this question before, and chefs and restaurant tour owners have been, have been restaurateurs have said, "I don't want to answer that because you know, I'm going to encourage people to come and steal that." Oh, you know? <laughs> yeah. and I mean, you get a few drinks and people, and even the best, the best characters, you know, they they can often show the, the their worst sides or their scandalous sides. Um, so, it's it's restaurants are a funny place because it's somebody that you want to welcome into your home, but you also want to draw the line somewhere. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, I have two you know. deep dark secrets in that I'm going to admit. I'm uh -oh. going to. You can publish this in your story. Okay, I'm 14 years old, and you have to remember the time, and you have to remember that this is a, um, a time in my life when my food education was basically a microwave. You know, so I mean, I, but rock, Hard Rock Cafe was huge in the mm. late in in the mid 80s. I can already see where you're going with this. Oh my God! So it was huge. It was no. It, I think it's even worse than what you think. I mean, it's just lamer. <laughs> it's lamer than what you think. Um, All right. I go in there and I'm on a date. I'm on a date with like this girl that I'm trying to impress, and uh -huh. I'm four foot eleven and haven't hit puberty anyways at this point in time. So I have a lot of making up to do and a lot of impressing to do other ways. So I take her to Hard Rock Cafe in San Diego. They just opened up. Everybody wanted to go. I think the line was like an hour hour long a couple hours long so get in there and eat you know and i'm not even drinking because i'm like 14 years old you know and i'm like i'm gonna steal a menu i took a laminated menu and just and folded it up and put it in my pocket i'm like why why <laughs> i mean there's michael jackson's hairpiece over here there's like you know elvis's guitar over there yeah you know and i take this stupid dumb laminated menu that was already <laughs> folded up. And once you fold a laminated menu, you can't really undo that. It really just looks like crap. Um, so that was the one thing that I stole. And then the other thing that I did steal <laughs> when I was of age to have some alcohol, I could have possibly been in a bar. And, um, and maybe they had growlers out on the table, um, like big jugs of beer. And I maybe had been a little overserved. And I might have walked out walked away with one of those growlers thinking that I was so smooth until I got home and realized it was a water pitcher. It was filled with water. I thought it was full of beer. I was like, oh my God. And I actually had to the next day. I did go, I did go back the next day. I was like, I am so sorry. I took this last night. I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> Outstanding citizen right there. Absolutely. You know. All right. So um, real quick, before we get to the official introduction that Maria is going to do um, of our guest today, and she's going to read your bio. And this is, it's always fun for us to see if we get any of it wrong. So you can fact check us. Um, but I need to do one more uh, bit of news. Um, we had a really tragic passing this um, in the last week and a half of one of our uh, restaurant community, Matt Hoyt. Uh, Matt Hoyt was the um, owner of Starlight Lounge. And not only that, he's just been in San Diego for a long time, you know, and he worked with some of my favorite bands, Blackheart Procession and a few other bands and made videos for them. And he made films and he was just a really creative human being, you know, and he added so much to this city. When Starlight opened, there was no like kind of like it was a cross between like killer architecture and real good farm table food. When some people lie about farm to table, they were doing it right. And it just looked like a dive bar, but like the most 
the coolest dive bar you've been into. And you, you rarely meet a human being that has a lot of talent and creativity and then also gets a heart. The guy was just the nicest human being that I had come across in a long time. And, you know, he's really, really going to be missed by the entire community. So um, rest in peace, Matt. Thank you for your contribution to San Diego. I mean, this city is such a better city for you having been in it. And that's that. Um, so the um, now let's move on to our interview. I know we have shift gears. It was a little hard, but I had to say something about Matt because he's really special. Um, all right. So Marie, give, give us our intro. So he's been here with us the whole time, but we are formally introducing you to our special guest, Ian Tenzer, the executive research and development chef at Puesto. Uh, Ian is new to Puesto in San Diego. He moved here last fall from New York, where he worked with chef Daniel Hume and was a sous chef at 11 Madison Park, which has three Michelin stars. Ian also had a side gig called Tenzer Tacos before he started with Puesto. In his current role, he creates new menu items for the company's nine restaurants, and he's currently working on making the restaurants completely sustainable. And if you want to sample more of Ian's cooking, uh, he will also be at a new outdoor dinner series at the Estancia La Jolla on September 14th. Thank you, Ian. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I think everything said was on point um, and definitely uh, a very kind introduction. <laughs> point Marie. Nice work, Marie. Um, yep, all right. Up on the board. So first question for you that I have, Ian, is what's the question that you would ask yourself? All right. I, I have a ton of questions that I could ask and we're not going to get to the real story. What's the story of your life? What's that one story that you're like, here's the one thing that I always tell somebody about me that you're like, this crazy thing happened to me or you don't know this about me or... You know, what's that one notable thing that you'll put in your your autobiography? Wow, that's a that's a loaded question. I think um, it could be it could be many things. Um, I want to keep it. I definitely want to keep it food focused. So I think it's just like um, a notable experience was probably when I was fourteen, and and I was always motivated by money. Who isn't? Um, but I would I would do anything like mow the mow our neighbor's lawn, mow the neighborhood adjacent to our neighborhood person's lawn, like anything, walk dogs, et cetera, et cetera. And my dad dropped me off at a restaurant when I was 14 uh, called Rick's Seafood. And he, I was like, what are we doing here? He's like, go get a job. And, <laughs> and I mean, that was really the segue into uh, restaurant culture because I was always fascinated by food sitting on the counter while my mom was making like a, uh, she used to do these lavash breads with with smoked salmon and tomato and cream cheese. And oh. I used to love watching her do it, just like the meth, meth, the the method and just how. I mean, it was just so relaxing, you know. But so, 14 years old, my dad drops me off at Rick's Seafood and says, "Go get a job." Um, it just so happened that one of our neighbors um, worked there, and she said I was a shoe in. Um, and I mean, I start. I started as a fishmonger there. I obviously trained with the current fishmonger and worked under him for a number of months. Maybe it, it was probably like three quarters of a year, eight months, um, and or ten, whatever the math is. Sorry, guys. Um, no worries. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just fell in love with the camaraderie of the kitchen, of the restaurant, um, the hustle and bustle being busy than being slow and transitioning from a market into the restaurant 
dining scene at night um, because it was like a small restaurant market, um, similar to the fishery in, in uh, PB, one of my favorite restaurants for sure Nice in San Diego. Um, but a very similar uh, restaurant structure. And, and just from there, like, you know, I've only been fired from one job ever, and it was outside of the restaurant industry. It was like doing custodial services at an old age home. Like how much worse could it get? No, no offense to anybody doing that out there, but going from like a competitive industry full of art, artists and people really motivated by making others happy. Um, that's really what drew me. And I think that was a, a, an incredible turning point in my life. Um, awesome. Does, awesome. I hope that, yeah. No, I was, I was perfect. So Ian, so obviously you were, you fell in love with food at an early age, 14 years old, your dad drops you off at Rick's seafood. You know, the, you know, I love that you love the camaraderie of, and that's everybody that I talk to in the restaurant industry. That's what they love working with a crack team, you know, hand to hand, you know, um, person to person, you're just, you know, working under supreme pressure, creating something beautiful that makes somebody happy, you know, every single night and you get to see that. Yeah. You know? um, what about now, obviously you trans, you put your head down, you became a serious professional uh, about the industry, you know, and you made it to, um, I believe it was sous chef over at 11 Madison Park, right? Correct. Um, I had been with the company, make it nice for a number of years, uh, six years. And I started at the Nomad as a cook, made my made my way up to sous chef, then was transferred to 11 Madison Park as a sous chef. Um, during that time, we became the best restaurant in the world, um, closed, went out to the Hamptons to open up the 11 Madison Park Summer House or the EMP Summer House, um, which was such a an undertaking and an incredible experience. Um, just to execute a, a different concept with, with a world-class team like that. Um, we then closed after that summer season and reopened 11 Madison Park uh, after probably one of the most unbelievable renovations into what I think is the world's most beautiful dining room uh, set in the New York City scape. Uh, I, I don't think you can find a space much, much more or that speaks to New York City more than 11 Madison Park. Um, I know that Saga, uh, James Kent's new restaurant and Jeff Katz's new restaurant certainly is has the ability to do that. And they will be pushing the bound, the limits on things. But so just to get back to the story, we, we reopened and then shortly after it was probably November or it was December of 2017. I was transferred back to the, the Nomad as the executive sous chef and then was there for almost two years and was transferred back to 11 Madison Park um, as a sous chef uh, just just briefly before Chef Daniel and Will Gadara uh, announced that they were going to part ways. Um, and I mean, it, that was only 2019. It, that was like the summer of 2019. And, uh, you know, six or eight months afterwards, everybody knows the rest, the history of it. Um, we closed the restaurant um, March 16th, which was devastating. Like we were just talking about how camaraderie brings so many people to the restaurant industry. And, and that's what really did it with, for me was seeing the people that I've worked so hard 
alongside of um, seeing their growth and them pushing me to grow um, dear friends and people I consider family, like honestly and truly uh, love them um, was we just, it was just like one day you were there and then the next day we were not. Um, and uh, that's when COVID really showed us what, what was what um, obviously some terrible things happened, but through, through, if I'm ho I hope there's many others like me, I was able to find a silver lining, um, came up with a concept called Tenzer Tacos, which was a taco delivery service um, that I did in my parents' house in Westchester. And uh, it started out of their house. And uh, I, I realized very quickly, maybe two or three weeks into it, that I needed to get the stress out of the house. And it was also warming up. Um, so I, I needed to find like enough of refrigeration space. I was using snow. Um, you were using snow as a refrigeration as like an ice bath well as like an ice bath almost to cool big braises down so the big thing about what i wanted to do was like i wanted the meal to be as delicious as when it was just cooked as it is when it's delivered to you and i spanned from dutchess county to westchester county to the four boroughs four out of the five boroughs in new york city and that's just to put it in perspective, it's like that's all of San Diego. And that's like from going from Orange County all the way down to Escondido, down through Del Mar, all the way down to like the border of Tijuana. And wow. uh, I would I would prep, cook, portion, take orders. My girlfriend and my family helped me. It was like I couldn't have done it without them. My girlfriend's incredible when it comes to marketing and just design. I want to get back to, to real quick, back, get back to 11 Madison. I mean, that's the world's best restaurant. Yeah. You know, as a lot of people will claim. I mean, obviously that's, you know, a nebulous claim, but I mean, it's been all, mm -hmm. a long time accoladed. Like it's one of the, the, the premier dining you know, cathedrals in the world. Three star Michelin. I mean, yeah. that is when you're getting to that level, what is it like to cook in that level? I mean, how much pressure is there? I've heard people say that they don't even like Michelin stars because there's too much pressure to keep them. And sometimes it ruins the soul of the restaurant because it does become like this obsession. You know, I mean, is it was it a good thing? Get it describe what that level is like. As with anything in life, it's about balance, you know, and it's definitely under all that pressure, it just makes it even harder to find the balance. Um, and there were moments where like a number of people and myself included were just like, why, why am I doing this? Or it's just so intense, you know, you need to constantly be reminding yourself and pinching yourself that every day you're learning something new, whether it's managerially, whether it's personally, whether it's culinary driven, whether, I mean, I, I was just, we were bombarded with so much information on a daily basis, the level of planning that needed to happen in order to execute a service. Just one service was like, it was a mountain of, of work, you know, but once again, going back to the camaraderie, everybody was pushing in the right direction. You know, it was like herding cattle. When one cattle veered off, you'd get somebody to shepherd them back in. And we were just so driven. And still the team today, uh, it's under incredible leadership of a number of my peers um, that I worked for, absolutely idolize, and I consider great friends. Um, 
they it's it's about the drive and the passion and pushing every day and expecting more from your peers but then expecting even more from yourself um and i think uh yeah i mean it's about the only person holding the standard is yourself and you need to constantly be raising the bar on the standard and that's what, something that 11 madison park definitely drove every individual or i hope ex, ex, uh, exposed people to understanding that that aspect of the restaurant industry and you know i mean really what you said is so true because they always say that the true character of a human being is who you are when no one is watching you know i love that saying you know, I, and that's, yeah. and that's really true. No one is holding you accountable except for yourself. The, okay, now, why did you come to San Diego? I know that you came to San Diego for love, it sounds like. I want to hear this story, how you came out and how you decided on Puesto. Did they just come to you? I mean, look, I got to say, when Puesto hired an 11 Madison Sioux, I was like, holy shit, Puesto. Getting <laughs> serious. I mean, they've always been serious and they've really taken a you know, they really invested in their food and drink program. And, you know, they've tried to get better, it seems, along the way at every single And their season. service program. Yep, you're right. Absolutely. And in all levels of it, they're really trying to, you know, go further yep. and further and further. But why? Why did you come out here? Tell us the story. What? I mean, my girlfriend, Danielle, she's from San Diego. Um, we had been going back and forth from long distance relationship for two years and through COVID, we were able to spend a lot of time together and I, I didn't want to see it any other way. Um, so she moved back to San Diego from New York and I, I followed the love, followed Danielle um, and immediately fell in love with the, just the, what San Diego had to offer and the surroundings. Um, but as far as like what drew me to Puesto, I knew that I needed coming out of 11 Madison Park. I knew I needed to recharge my batteries. It was apparent. You could see it in my face. Like, I, it takes a toll. Um, my batteries, and I don't mean like just rest on my laurels, but I, I knew I didn't want to run service for a restaurant that wasn't necessarily mine. As yeah. in, like, I didn't want to operate a restaurant that wasn't mine. Yeah. Um, so when this role was, uh, was given or shown to me uh, as the, the research and development chef of a restaurant at the time with seven locations. Um, I, I was certainly interested um, based on my, my Tenzer Tacos experiences, but also based on just my absolute attraction and, and awe of Mexican culture. Um, I've always gravitated to foods that are deeply enrooted in cultures like Mexican cuisine, Indian cuisine, Chinese or Asian cuisine. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's what ultimately drew me to, to taking the position, um, just based on the amount of history. And, you know, if somebody's, if somebody's doing something, or if a culture or a group of people or one person is doing something for so long, something right, uh, they're doing something right. Yeah. And, right. Uh, so I got a couple of questions. Well, I, I'll comment on what you just said. 
is that, you know, people always say that what is American food? I mean, American food is Chinese food. American food is Mexican food. American food is, you know, a Lebanese food. I mean, we have, because we're the melting pot, because we were, you know, just a landing uh, spot for so many different cultures. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not a burger. I mean, yeah, sure. That may be one of our signatures, you know, that we kind of came up with here, but it's really, it's the American food is, is other cultures food as it, as it was, you know, translated um, through, you know, through, through the travel over to the West. Uh, and I agree. So, and second, like R&D chef, what exactly, I'm sure everybody out there is like, what the hell is an R&D chef? Are you just back there with your Mickey's, you know, Fantasia pot, just, you know, coming up with concepts all day? Is you, are you, do you just get paid to dream and cook weird? Um, <laughs> short, short story, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a, a dreamer's position. It's a dream job. You know, when I was younger, I would just fantasize about being able, being able to just create what I wanted to. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely a, a serious amount of responsibility and, and discipline that goes into the role as far as like pushing yourself, designating time to execute food, to envision food, which is such a huge part about of creation, whether it's painting, uh, you know, whether it's painting, building uh, or cooking, you know, it's um, it's about envisioning it and, and having the foresight to to create, because with the ex with my experiences, you can you can play with food in your mind and 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 imagine what it tastes like. Um, obviously, it'll taste a little different uh, once it's actually create once you actually create it, but for the most part, you know what flavors go well together. Um, you obviously want to push the envelope and and create put flavors, you know, nuance into your food that guests aren't necessarily comfortable experiencing. But for me, I feel like once again, a shepherd of of incredible produce and 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 food, being able to make it beautiful and eye appealing is is the way to get guests who are generally more reserved when they're eating mm -hmm. to open up and try new foods yeah. um so i mean just i think in being able to envision it before it's created and happen like that's that's an incredible attribute and and tool to have in your in your belt loop uh, well and not only that but you have to think about food costs i mean because you were working for seven restaurants i mean you know some of the best chefs in the world that i've ever known have driven restaurants directly into the ground you know because they don't it, I, I, they don't know the they don't pay attention to the cost they pay attention to how great it tastes and how you know with all this great stuff in here but how do you price that out you know you need to keep it as sustainable so that's i imagine that's part of your job too right yeah, definitely after food cost seven when I started, but now nine. Sorry to correct you there. Um, but uh, n nine restaurants, you know, yeah. two in the Bay Area, four in Orange County and three in San Diego. But yeah, food cost is is, of course, it's one of the hardest variables in the restaurant industry to control. You know, you're always harping on labor because you can control it. I mean, you can't control it, but you you can you can you can nudge it down a little bit and, and kind of see, and you can trend it down, but food cost is definitely because it's such a volatile, uh, you know, item to be working with food perishables. It's, it's definitely something people focus on and, 
Yeah. Um, but as far as developing food um, in terms of food cost, we have the, we have the ability um, to exercise and, and utilize our, our quantity or our number of restaurants in our favor. Meaning we have nine restaurants. We do mm-hmm. high volume. And, and we're a cash cow for uh, companies like produce companies, uh, yep. meat purveyors, and, and they want to work with us, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. which is an incredible asset to be utilizing. Um, we, we were be able to switch from a commodity uh, style protein to, to the likes of like Jidori and Salmon Creek Farms and soon to be an incredible beef product for our, our number one seller, the, the uh, filet taco. Um, so we're, we're making huge leaps as far as a restaurant being 10 years in the making, nine restaurants strong. We're pulling the reins back a little bit and, and looking, looking forward even further um, and focusing on quality. Um, yeah. And not, so even, think- not even quality, I man, as you said, I mean, if you're working with Jadori, I mean, if sure, any any person out there can know the good proteins. They can know the Salmon Creek. They can know the Jadori. They can know the you know the um, Snake River Farms. You know, uh, American Wagyu, whatever it is. And they're like, why doesn't everybody use that? Well, you know why? Because food costs us really right hard. here. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, a, a mom and pop can't do that. So, is an advantage once you've finally grown to the level of where a bulk buyer like Puesto is, you know, that now, okay, we can afford that and not have to charge the customer, you know, $400 for their meal or, you know, $35 taco, you know, you can kind of keep those costs down. But I want to talk to you more about the um, environmental aspect. I understand that you guys are going, you're really working on a sustainability program and doing zero waste. Yeah, this is something that I grew up with um, and something that just reigns true to me. And I think if you ask any anyone that I've worked with in the past or and even in the present, it's something that really has my heart. And just to touch on that saying that you said uh, 10 minutes ago is doing the right thing when no one's watching. And I feel like it's we are all ambassadors of this earth. And and a, a saying that I try to remind myself on a daily basis is uh, what is it? Think locally, act globally. Yeah. You know, and I mean, or act locally, think globally. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it's just so important. So, I mean, to that, Troy, we've something I'm incredibly proud to to let you guys in on is something that we've been working on for a number of months. Um, and this is something I've tried to execute in a, a couple of restaurants that I've been at for a number of years is instead of receiving most of our bulk produce, like we, we order tons of avocados and tomatoes being a Mexican restaurant. Mm-hmm. And we've since uh, used our, our, our broadliner, our purveyor to execute a thing called an RPC, which is a recycled plastic crate or recycled plastic collapsible. So it's basically, I'm sure you've seen them. It's just a plastic crate that collapses in on itself. It becomes like an inch and a half high by whatever uh, dimensions the the produce or the items are being shipped in the quantity, and uh, they're they're reused. They have a shelf life of a hundred times, or a a, a life cycle of a hundred times. So that's a hundred cardboard boxes that we're in turn not using. And I think um, 
to date, we've we've eliminated over twenty four thousand cardboard boxes um, across nine restaurants in just two items. You know, obviously, um, with the shutdowns and everything, we we don't want our systems and our our new um, our new initiatives to fail. So we yeah. need to be patient. Sure. Um, but starting with our our two bulk items like tomatoes and and avocados is a huge. Uh, step in the right direction um, and the, these recycled plastic collapsibles are I think the beginning of a new way of thinking as far as restaurants are concerned and I, I know there's other inspirational stories happening across the world um, but this is this is how Puesto can begin to take the steps in the right direction as far as the environment is concerned. And taking the steps in the right direction. I mean, if you want to become a zero waste restaurant, that's a massive undertaking. That is not a small. It's small. huge. Yeah. So you really want to become a zero waste restaurant really quick. I mean, not really quick, but as quick as possible. Um, explain to people what a zero waste restaurant is and, you know, like and the kind of steps that you would have to take to get there. This will be years in the making. Um, that's yeah, a great sure. point. Yeah. Um, zero waste in my eyes is anything from a plastic milk jug to the cardboard that we get our our cases of alcohol in um, they're they're being repurposed and so we'll bring it in from from producer to distributor to puesto and then from there we will find avenues or work with a company that can help us find avenues to repurpose i mean the three r's remember reduce reuse recycle but at this point we want to make sure that it doesn't go into landfill um and create methane and and all these terrible gases that are warming our environment up um and since then we've we've been doing quite a bit of research as far as like obviously we're a restaurant we have tight budgets um labor costs food costs you know and overheads um and we need to be a profit-driven restaurant sure. or our business. So not that we want to take the easy way out, but we need to find avenues that aren't as time-consuming. And we're, we're looking to work with a company up in Orange County that actually takes all of our waste, um, then has a, a an incinerator. So here's like, we still need to do the rest of our, our research. Um, talk to a few people but they have an incinerator and the filtration process that they that they go through um and there's obviously tons of legislation but um regarding that the filtering process is it basically cleans the air but the heat that's created through burning of these byproducts that we're producing actually helps to produce energy for the surrounding areas so it's being, instead of going from producer, distributor, puesto into landfill, we're trying to find the next avenue to open that cycle back up and to, to instead of closing the cycle at, at the garbage, open the cycle back up and repurpose it for energy, repurpose our organic matter for compost. Um, and, and we're just looking, we're casting a very wide net and, uh, well, that's fantastic. And that, I mean, like yeah. you said, you're still doing your research onto this. Can you mention like the company that you're looking into and you're not saying that this is perfect yet? You don't know you're still doing all the research. Can you mention that or no? 
So the company is called Act Enviro or ACT Enviro. Um, right. And they're, they're, yeah, I mean, I think if we're able to find an outlet and, and just come to an agreement, I, there's a number of reasons why we're, we're being patient on this, for sure. uh, this initiative, but I mean, it's, it's certainly an, an appealing way to be using our, our, our waste at this point, because we are, we are still acting relatively conventional. Um, we are composting, we are doing the RC, RPCs, like I mentioned. Yeah. Um, we, you know, there's a number of very small things that we're, we're doing, but we're trying to find a bigger picture to help us be able to focus on, on everyday restaurant day to day. Yeah, I mean, look, it's nothing's a perfect, easy process, right? I'd like to be a better husband and a better, well said. a better father, you know, and, and unfortunately, I have to work, you know, and I have other responsibilities that I ask them to do. So I carve out small little things here and there that kind of improve my performance as a husband, as a, as a dad, you know, and it's a long, slow yeah. process towards eventually becoming a perfect being of light that's a father and a, and a husband. You know, but and last question, I know this interview now has gone on way too long because I've just been yabbing at you for so long. Um, Give us an example of what something that you are doing in the R&D kitchen, something we can look forward to at Plesto or a change you've already made or some, you know, some kind of innovation that you've done with the menu. Um, I just want to back you up there, Troy. I think I was doing most of the yabbing, but uh, I appreciate the time. (laughs) Um, and I'm going to continue to yeah. Uh, we're we're definitely working on an incredible uh, fall to winter men, new menu rollout. Um, we're we're going to be working with an incredible tuna product from our our seafood purveyor Alfaro. Um, Raul, there is is an is an incredibly good friend of mine that is always supportive. Found us this beautiful yellowfin tuna. Um, we're going to be serving it with some some avocado, some chilies. Um, it's going to be lights out. Uh, we're doing a new, a new, uh, guacamole with, some, with some more chilies. I mean, Mexican culture is based upon maize or corn chilies. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just an incredible way to feature such beautiful ingredients, you know? And then, I mean, we're, we're super busy as far as the, the R and D, uh, aspect of Puesto and Mexican Street Food LLC, which is our our, our uh, hospitality group, we're actually excited to announce our our uh, new restaurant Marisi. It's our first concept outside of Puesto and Mexican food, an an early two, 2020 opening, um, where we're just we're we're drawing inspiration from the Amalfi Coast and coastal Italy, um, and we're we're using the incredible produce and seafood and and uh, we're going to highlight it, meld the, meld the two regions together. And, you know, they're very similar. So Marisi is definitely going to be an amazing, uh, addition to La Jolla. Um, it's going to be right next to our Puesto La Jolla. Um, okay. That is a terrible, terrible concept because it's not an ocean beach where I live, but whatever. <laughs> um, we'll, 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 well, I'll make sure you, you're going to get your friends and family. You're going to get your, your, <laughs> Daily Diners card, whatever that is. I don't think All right, look, I'll get my there. Diners Club ready, ready to go. That, we will look forward to that for sure. All right, well, let's transition now. Uh, let's go into two people, 50 bucks. 
Um, oh, you guys yeah. all know this uh, segment. It's basically where we're loving to eat right now. And I've, I've had a few uh, meals out. I've been traveling a little bit for um, work. Just got back from filming guys' grocery games. Um, it's kind of nice to be back on that set again with everybody. You know, like our judges table is about 75 feet long now so we can follow all the COVID protocols. So we're getting back at it and getting, getting back to work. Uh, but I'm back home and I've got one. But first, Ian, I want to know yours. Two people, 50 bucks. You've been here now long enough that you have a place. I know in your heart that you love to go eat. Yeah, um, definitely. It wasn't easy coming up with this, but uh, Leilani's in PB. Um, Leilani's, I love it. I'm, at first I was hesitant at Spam. Um, now it's revered <laughs> in my mind. I love their Spam Masubi. Um, and it's something coming out of the water, fish or surfing, and it's just something I crave. Get two of those. A couple iced coffees and and my girlfriend and i are set for the day basically you have no idea coming from hawaii you know i love spam i grew up eating it to here um the former sous chef of 11 madison park say that he loves uh, spam musubi i am like now the biggest fan <laughs> well <laughs> yeah me too i love spam musubi as well um, <laughs> i'm i'm really excited to get out to hawaii one of these days and see what's what the happenings of spam out there are <laughs> we have right, a spam yep. festival or we used to in waikiki spam jam i'm not really kidding. yeah it's a Dude, food festival devoted what a name to too. marie <laughs> and ian right now i think we need to launch a spam festival like in honor of the one that you grew up with come on this is where it starts right here spam festival san diego 2021 22 are you guys in Let's do it. Spam Slam. Spam Slam, San Diego. Absolutely. We'll talk to the people in Hawaii and see if they can come out and show us how to do it and be part of it and everything else. Um, <laughs> all right. So, Marie, what's your two people 50 bucks this week? So, uh, you were just uh, talking about Convoy, and I had to go get an oil change. And my little trick to kind of keep me out in the neighborhood all the time is I, I go to a mechanic there. That way, I leave my car for two hours and I walk and I explore and I see what's new, or I go to an old favorite. So I, I really wanted ramen, but um, so inside Mitsuwa, that's where Santoka is, right? That's where I always yep. go. And I'm like, okay, I'll change it up a little bit. So anyway, I got the shrimp tempura udon at the place next door. It's called Musashiya. And they get crowded right when it opens. Like I went like maybe 10 after 11 and the food court was already packed. But um, it's just that amazing clear broth and the shrimp's just fried perfectly, uh, Musashiya. Awesome. All right. So mine is going to be, um, well, hey, I really um, fully endorse that pick and really anything on Convoy. You can just basically put your um, feet down in Convoy and walk around and go into shop by shop by shop and make yourself happy. Um, for mine, I'm going to go over to UTC, or not UTC, to Town and Country in Mission Valley. There's not too many people who are going to take you into um, Mission Valley, all right? It has been... <laughs> Uh, um, a food wasteland for a long, long time. Now we got a Puesto, excuse me, and, Thank you, Troy. and Town and & Country. So I'm going to choose Arlo, the new signature restaurant at Town & Country. Um, Chef Josh over there, he spent time at the French Laundry. So they they really, they they invested in, you know, having a really good chef there. They have a lamb meatballs. Oh, God. Ras al Hanout sauce, you know, which is basically a North African spice blend, uh, Gruyere cheese, carrot uh caper slaw 
with non bread, that lamb meatball mm. is phenomenal. And I'm not, I'm not going to be a bullshitter on this podcast. I haven't actually been to the restaurant yet. I ate this at the San Diego best of um, party and it was the best thing that I ate. And I, no offense. I didn't get make it to Puesto because nobody, I, I, I was talking too much. I was gabbing. There was 150 people there. I already knew Puesto because it's one of my favorite tacos. But anyways, I now I'm just like trying to mea culpa everything. But the, I was thinking this, Arlo was fantastic. And it basically made me go, all right, now I got to get in there and really try the entire meal. So that's mine. That's Arlo. That's your two people, 50 bucks for this episode. Um, if you guys have any questions uh, for me, for Marie, um, if you want us to forward some uh, questions over to Ian about his incoming um, spam festival and Italian <laughs> restaurant and R&D concepts for Puesto. Um, Ian, thank you so much for being here. Once again, you guys, this um, is Ian Tensler. He is the R&D chef for Puesto, which you guys all know Puesto in San Diego. They've been like trying to build a better taco and have been building a better taco since like, I don't know, 19, 1935. We're just going to say that because I'm just going to BS it as we go. Um, <laughs> 2011, but yeah, we'll take 1935. Maybe <laughs> let's talk uh, 2135, you know? How yeah, there we go. Out? All right. Sounds good. 2135, taking it into the future. All right. That's it for this week, you guys. We'll be back next week. We've got... Uh, Brad Wise from Fort Oak. We are, our best restaurants issue is coming out. Um, Brad is one of our favorite chefs in San Diego. Um, we'll be talking with him. Um, Ian, thank you so much. Marie, um, thank you for not firing me for multiple reasons um, and for being our fearless editor-in-chief. Thanks for having me. All right. See you, you guys. guys Talk to you next day, week. Right?